Hello, I'm Richard Russell, and welcome to Creativity and Composition. Hey folks, thanks for sticking with me. I don't have to tell you it's been some time since I've sent any updates this way. Things have been taking off for me in a couple of different directions, and that's a good thing, but it means I've had to shortchange my attention to these podcasts, which I do enjoy doing so much. It's early May 2006 as I make this podcast, and I'm looking forward to June. Soccer fans all know that June is the World Cup in Germany this year, and I plan to be taking some time off for the games. Right now, it looks awfully hard to bet against Brazil. I'm not sure the German team looks too strong, but they do have the advantage of playing in their home country. You can't ever discount that. I'll be rooting for the USA, of course, but they are in a very, very difficult group. Of course, the games aren't on 24 hours a day, so I certainly hope to get a chance to update a few more podcasts for you. I've got a lot in the pipeline I've been wanting to share. I mentioned at the top of this show I've been having some success with my composition career, and one aspect of this is that I've registered to be a self-published composer. I have a piece I wrote for trombone and electronics a few years ago by the name of Design for Lightning, and I've always rather fancied that name, so I've named my music publishing company Design for Lightning Music. That's the subject of today's podcast, self-publishing. Today we're talking a little bit more about the business end of things and not so much the creativity aspect. Now, what I'm talking about today is knowledge I've gained from a particularly American point of view. I know I have people who listen from around the world, so if you're listening to this in other countries, your mileage may vary. Perhaps you are fortunate enough to have a music publisher. When I first got out of college in the early 1990s, I went the route of submitting my scores to various publishers, and I never got anywhere. I never thought my scores were weak or not good enough, so I kept at it. But it sure was a lot of work to continue mailing scores, following through, waiting for weeks and months, and then having nothing ever come of it. Recently, I attended a lecture by an up-and-coming composer named Jennifer Higdon. And if you haven't heard of her yet, you're bound to be hearing of her soon. Her career has really taken off in the last five years or so. You can learn more about her at her website, jenniferhigdon.com. Her last name is spelled H-I-G-D-O-N, by the way, jenniferhigdon.com. Anyway, she is a self-published composer, and she's shown me the light. She pointed out that publishers can sometimes actually be in the way of getting your pieces performed. I work in a music conservatory, and let me tell you, I know what she means. We work with contemporary composers all the time and try to program their pieces, getting publishers to get scores to us for performance in a timely manner and in good shape, etc., becomes very difficult sometimes. I've talked a little bit about this before in my podcasts on copyright. Many of these publishers aren't too interested in serving the smaller composer. Their job is to do all the marketing for you, to push your music, and to get it out there. But they have limited resources, and they go where the big money composers are. That's not a criticism, it's just the nature of the business. So, unless you are worth big bucks in the bank for the publishers, you might want to push your own agenda, rather than trusting a publisher. This means spending a lot of time on non-composing activities, though, so there is a trade-off. Jennifer Higdon said that she considers herself a freelance composer, and she also teaches on the side. She spends about an hour a day composing, which I've been saying for some time now is a pretty good formula, she says she spends about six hours a day doing all the other drudge work of managing her business. Ouch, six hours a day. For those of us who have a day job, you know how tight this can pinch you. 
maintaining a website, printing and binding your scores, keeping your publicity up to date, or in my case, recording a podcast every now and then, it's hard to do it all. But here's a little secret. If you aren't going to go out there and push your own business, not too many other people are going to do it for you. Jennifer Higdon says that she has people contact her via her website for price quotes and sales of her music. Orchestral pieces are considered differently than smaller chamber pieces and choral pieces. The reason is that orchestral pieces require a large number of parts, and traditionally that is done via a rental. Renting the parts is a good way to keep tabs on how many performances a piece is receiving. It so happens that her career is busy enough that she has multiple copies of her pieces out on rental at any given time. And here's a good tidbit. Keep track of which rental set is with which orchestra, in case they decide to rent again. For instance, if you have a piece that has been rented by the Berlin Philharmonic, you don't want to send them the same set of rental scores that you recently sent to Riverdale Junior High. That school set of parts just might have all kinds of markings in it, Boeings, for instance, that the professional orchestra doesn't want to see. If you are indeed working with an orchestra in the United States, don't be afraid to do some research on the orchestra's budget and charge accordingly. The American Symphony Orchestra League is a good resource. Their website is www.symphony.org. I'm sure other countries have similar online research resources. Jennifer Higdon recommends looking around to what the big publishers are charging for similar kinds of pieces and then charge a minimum. After all, you're not a big-time major publisher with the same overhead, so you can offer a discount. Also, you should have flexibility in your pricing. You can and should charge less for an orchestra that is not a professional orchestra, say a high school orchestra, for instance. Also, perhaps you might want to charge less based on performing circumstances. Let's say a Japanese orchestra wants to buy your piece and perform it, and they want to fly you in and put you in a hotel. Well, first of all, if you've never had your music performed in a foreign country, you definitely don't want to lose the concert over haggling about price. And that's not even including the little vacation they're willing to pay for. Also, consider if the buyer wishes to perform one of your pieces multiple times in different venues. You can give a discount for that, too. After all, the buyer, in effect, is helping your career by getting your music out there in front of different audiences. So don't be afraid to ask your buyers for specifics, like venues, number of performances, will there be a review in the paper, and will they provide you any comps, and so on. For a choral piece or smaller chamber music piece, you might want to sell a single copy at a flat rate. But for choral pieces, consider a licensing contract for the number of copies your buyer can reproduce. For instance, you might sell a choral piece to a choir of 100 singers. A copying license for that choir might be 50 cents per copy, and you've just sold your choir piece for $50. If you're going to be publishing your own music, you should look for advice on binding scores and conforming to accepted notation practices. For this, Jennifer Higdon points toward the Major Orchestra Librarians Association. Every major orchestra has a librarian who is responsible for keeping the scores and parts in good working order, and they have their own organization. Their website is an interesting one for composers. Go to mola-inc.org. That's M-O-L-A-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Aside from advice about self-publishing, Jennifer Higdon has some good advice about developing as a composer. She says she always tries to make her music interesting. Well, I sort of think that goes without saying myself, but the next step is a crucial one. Make sure your performers find it interesting. If so, they'll perform it more than once. 
Aha, that's pretty important, don't you think? And if they find your music interesting, they'll share it with other performers too. So you should cultivate your relationship with performers almost more than with other composers. Ask your performers what is and isn't working as far as they are concerned. Get feedback. One thing I've learned about performers is that they will be much more honest with you about your music than other composers or average audience members. After a concert, most people will come up to you and congratulate you and you wonder what did they really think. Ask the people who performed your music and you'll probably get a much more substantive answer. And another little career advice piece that Jennifer Higdon shared with us is to find the managers of various presenting organizations who themselves are also composers. They might be very interested in hearing about you as a composer. For instance, the orchestra managers or the artistic directors of orchestras or chamber music ensembles who might be composers themselves will be much more receptive to you as a composer. So, summing up, 15 or so years ago, it was awfully hard to get your music out into the world without a publisher. Thanks to the internet and desktop publishing and all the resources available to us today, it is easier than ever to become your own publisher. And here's the most salient detail Jennifer Higdon shared with us. She said in her first year, she sold only two scores of hers. And since she has become such a big shot now, prominent publishers are calling her to sign her up on their roster each and every month. What's the catch? Publishers in general collect 50% of your sales. When you are self-published, you don't have to share that publishing fee, so she politely declines these overtures and remains self-published to this day. What's your take on self-publishing? Got any hints or strategies you'd like to share? Stop by my website and drop me a line. I'm at www.rdrussell.com. That's R-D-R-U-S-S-E-L-L.com. Click on my contact button and let me know about your insights and strategies for self-publishing. Maybe I can do a follow-up podcast with more tips and tricks. This has been Richard Russell with Creativity and Composition. Until next time, keep creating.